Hello and welcome to Lawrence Forking, Kansas, the podcast about the people and the stories behind the local food you love. I'm Jake. And I'm Kristen, and today we're interviewing Malik Trevetti and Jody Palmer of Trevetti Wine. Before we get started with the show today, we just wanted to say a big thank you to all of our listeners. We were super excited to find out that we came in second place in the podcast category for Best of Lawrence. Yeah, it really means a lot to us, and we're you know we're just excited to keep episodes coming your way, and and it really just uh, you know emboldens what we're doing. We really 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 love love doing this. This is just a real passion project for us. So we we just have great time talking with all these different owners, and especially during this time of covid and where restaurants and food businesses are having a harder time than others we, we just feel like it's really important to shine light on you know everything that they're doing and everything that uh, goes into what they're doing so so thank you again and on with the show today we're talking with owners malik trevetti and jody palmer of trevetti wine malik and jody welcome to the show well thank you so much for having us we're excited to be with you yeah so you know in case anyone hasn't heard yet or been out to you guys um you you know, trevetti wine is located in north uh you know north of i-70 there on the farmer's turnpike um and pretty recently opened up in december of last year right and um you know kind of uh you know really cool winery you got a lot of different options there really great outdoor space um you guys have been hosting a bunch of events um, really great, great things happening up there, and and, and you know, especially with COVID and everything, I think you guys have been, you know, your space is so you know accommodating to all the social distancing and being able to be outside and still enjoy a good time and you know do it safely. So, um, so yeah, we're really excited to have you on the show, and um, having tried some of your wines, really excited to learn more, uh, learn more about you know what goes into it. So, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Are you guys both from Lawrence originally? Well, I'm from Kansas. I'm from Miltonville, Kansas. Uh, it's about two and a half hours west of here, and then I did my undergraduate education at KU. And that's where I met her, but I'm originally from India, and I came to KU in 2001. So I grew up in Mumbai from such a large metropolitan area to Lawrence, Kansas. It was a, a bit big of a culture shock. <laughs> and actually, I like to say that it wasn't that much of a culture shock because people were so welcoming and so easygoing. I yeah. didn't experience any culture shock. Besides, yeah. two of my cousins had already gone to KU before me. So I, we kind of had a family thing with KU and Jayhawks. So I felt like I already had some of that tradition in me before I got here. So right. there, it was almost seamless transition for me. Oh. That's great. Was yeah. that your first so coming coming to KU? Was that your first time in the United States, or or had you visited? Yeah, and yes, and that was my first time flying internationally. First time on a plane that I could remember. Uh, wow. <laughs> I came for graduate school. Okay. Uh, I had my bachelor's in chemistry in pharmaceuticals in India, and so I came here for a PhD in pharmaceutical chemistry. And uh, during that time, we met each other at, at the Free State Brewing Company. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, so we have connections with Lawrence and KU. It was always our goal to end up back at, in Lawrence, back in Kansas. So we're lucky to be here. Yeah. So did you guys, uh, you know, yeah, that was back in early 2000s. So, so between then and now, I, I guess what... Um, 
yeah, what, what kind of brought you to wine? I mean, so you, you were doing pharmaceutical. That's, uh, um, well, you know, I guess there, there's, there's science there. So, and there's definitely science in winemaking, but kind of what's been your journey to get back to Lawrence and, and, and get into winemaking? So, it's, of course, the 2000s was when I, be, I got here. Mm-hmm. But 2008 was when I graduated with my degree and got a job in the biotech industry, California. And Judy followed me soon after. Mm. We, we, we lived there for five years. You know, she going to residency, medical school, and then me doing the job. And we had to move to North Carolina eventually for her next training, which was fellowship. Mm-hmm. In between, during that time, we took a trip to Germany. We had, remember, this was before, we have two kids now, but this was before kids. Yeah, <laughs> it's a whole different life. Uh, so if you want to take it up from there, Judy. So in Germ- we went to Germany in 2000, that summer of 2013, and we had planned to do a lot of beer drinking, <laughs> but we took our bicycles and we biked the like Mossel River Trail and the Rhine River Trail, which um, if you know anything about that area is just covered in these beautiful vineyards with castles and wine tastings everywhere, you know, and vines as far as the eye can see. And so we started drinking a lot of wine and Malik was not a wine drinker. I was. I I didn't drink wine before that. No, he wouldn't drink it at all. (laughs) And so we converted him starting with the sweet whites all the way to the dry reds. And it was amazing. Well, not not in that trip, okay? It was all sweet whites, Rieslings (laughs) for that trip. (laughs) But, you know, from then on, you know, your taste evolves too. Oh, yeah. I, st- I was able to start appreciating wine, the taste of it, but also its role in the culture, in, in people's lives. So, uh, so when we came back to North Carolina, I was already looking to change my field. And I found out there was a community college not far from where we were living in North Carolina that had a wine program. So I decided to go for it, go back to school. Mm. And so I was doing the wine and grape growing program, but also at the same time working part time in a couple of different wineries, you know, working in the vineyard, working in the wine production, and then also in working in the tasting room, trying to get all the experience that I could get. It's like, just like a sponge trying to soak everything in that I could because it was amazing experience. North Carolina has a great wine industry right now. Hmm. And uh, so got the education, got the practical hands-on training. And 2016, Jody finished her uh, fellowship and got a job here at Lawrence Memorial Hospital. And we were just thrilled because that was always our goal to be back in Lawrence. We never thought it would be that early in our careers. Mm-hmm. And so 2016, we moved back a couple of years. We, you know, tried to settle down, had another child in the process, so, so we ended up, you know, one North Carolina, one KU. So we have a Tar Heel and the Jayhawk, right? <laughs> anyway, so 2018 is when we finally decided to go for it. We purchased this property. Meanwhile, one year I also uh, thought that there is a wine program at Highland Community College. In, in Womigo, Kansas. Oh, okay. And so, yeah. so for one year, I taught winemaking there and made a lot of industry connections in Kansas oh, to get to know all the different vineyards, the different grape growers, different wineries, 
did a lot of wine tasting at other wineries to get an idea of what was going on. And so 2018 is when we actually started the winery work. So what goes into that? So, I mean, yeah, that's a big, uh, yeah, I, I imagine that's a, it's a big jump there. I mean, you've probably been thinking about it, mulling it over in your head, but you kind of finally have to, you know, come pull to the, that point and yeah, <laughs> pull the trigger and do it. So, so what, what, yeah, what, what ultimately made you say, all right, let's do it. Is it just the fact that the right property kind of came up and you said, let's do it or was it? Well, we had identified this property several months before we purchased it and Malik wasn't convinced. I was. And uh, eventually, you know, look, after looking at more properties and more research, he decided, yes, this is the right spot. It already had existing structures that were obviously not quite perfect for what we wanted, but a good starting point. So we purchased it and, yeah. you know, made massive remodeling plans. I had worked in wineries that were built to be wineries. So that's what I had in my mind. Right. But, and so uh, Jody's anyway more flexible than I am but eventually I came around and I thought you know we could make this work turn it into a winery uh, so oh then our realtor Chris Schmid he set up a meeting with the owners of the previous owners of this wine and they're actually our next-door neighbors at the winery yeah. uh, there so the lady Paula her parents used to own this property they used to live in the house and so we, we wanted to talk to them and see if they would be okay with having a winery next door because in Kansas, you never know. Um, they were thrilled. They were they said, you know, we will cancel all our other winery memberships if you're gonna be next door. <laughs> and, and so it was awesome. It was perfect. They were very welcoming and we decided, it, and we are not very far from town. We can actually see Lawrence and I-70 here right now. So being blacked up all the way, Having another agritourism business right across the street from us, the Taylor Stone Barn, where they do weddings, other events, and having the Lakeview Country Club down the road. We have a lot of traffic go and a lot of bicyclists go up and down this road. It's called the Seneca Riverview Road. So we thought this was a perfect, and there was no other winery in this area of Lawrence. Or we had, we have two wineries towards Eudora, one towards two towards Baldwin City. Mm -hmm. But we didn't have any on the northwest side of Lawrence, and we thought, you know, maybe there is a whole bunch of population that could be served here with local wine. So all things came together, and we decided this was the place. I had always wanted to own my own business ever since Jody had known me, right? So why not wine business, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It <laughs> doesn't, doesn't get better than that. So, so what, um, so what'd you have to do the land? You know, I, I guess was it, was the farm previously, was the land used just for, you know, corn? You know, was it normal kind of agriculture, typical of the corn area? Corn and soybeans. Yeah, corn and soybeans alternating. Yeah. Oh, and, and some brome. So, you know, uh -huh. there's some floodplain in the back in the north of the winery, which we, we don't intend to do anything with other than corn and soybean because that's all that will grow there. Right. Maybe someday we'll have a pumpkin patch, not promising anything. <laughs> but we also had corn and soybean all around south and east of us and west of us, uh, which has now been converted to partly vineyard orchard and also just to hay. So we're not having herbicides being sprayed on the south side of us. Mm and getting them drifted onto the vineyard or orchard. So 
Uh, our neighbors have been great. Chuck Taylor, the farmer across the street, he, he and Randy Farley both together planted brome on this field to produce hay for, the, for Chuck's cows. And the Gunther brothers that farm the corn and soybeans, they say that's fine. They're happy to farm the floodplain with the corn and soybeans. So this is a very welcoming and cooperating community. Yeah. And we're just lucky to be here. So maybe for you know people who don't know, kind of walk us through the process of what it's like to actually make wine. Well, it's actually not very complicated. I, I tell people if you have any experience cleaning and sanitizing stuff, you can make good wine. Because <laughs> really, wine can make itself as long as you not let it become vinegar by using the right cleaning and sanitation process. So winemaking is 95% cleaning and 5% luck. <laughs> okay, so grapes, you know, grapes are harvested. They come in big clusters. There's pounds and pounds, sometimes tons of grapes. So the first thing you need, and also white wine, white grapes are treated slightly differently than red grapes, but all grapes need to be separated from the stems first. So there's a distemmer that removes the stems and you only get the berries. If it's a white wine, you press the grapes right away to make juice. That juice is then inoculated with yeast. You can either let the wild yeast do its job or you can have a commercially commercial strain of yeast. If you go to wine and beer making store, there's one in Lawrence now. Actually, there's two. Mm -hmm. um, so you can use commercial strains of yeast that are proven proven to be good varieties to make you know certain kinds of wines. So you inoculate the white wine, white juice with yeast and let it ferment. The sugar gets converted to alcohol, releasing some carbon dioxide during the process. And and at that point it's wine. It's done. It's wine. But it's not a very attractive wine at that point. So there are other steps that we do like clear it, filter it, because there's a lot of turbidity in it, lots of proteins. So we we clear by racking and filtering the wine set through different grades of filters. And then we cold stabilize. Cold Sometimes stabilize. some wines that are not cold stabilized, if you put them in the fridge for any amount of time and then look at the bottle, you will see glass particles on the bottom. It's not really glass, but it's the acid in wine that precipitates out oh. mm -hmm. into crystals in the cold temperature and so these are called wine diamonds it's not really attractive to customers to purchase wine that has that's going to make right. crystals in so we, we we do what's called cold stabilize we force those crystals in the winery in the tanks by chilling it down and mm -hmm. then separate filter out the wine so we don't get those wine diamonds in the mm. final finished product so that's white wine and usually within if i push it really hard i can get it done in three to four months bottled mm. wow. uh, but the red wine takes longer because it has more many more components to it you know it's more complex the when we make red wine we do the distemming that i mentioned before but after distemming you don't press out the juice you keep the juice and 
the skins and the seeds, everything together because the skin has, the actual red pigment is in the skins of the red grapes. And also there is a, a chemical called tannin and it's a big family of compounds, but tannins, they are the bitter, bitterness compounds. I know you had a podcast with Elliot Pease mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he was talking about uh, tea. He gets teas from every, all different places. Though the black tea also has tannins. Coffee has tannins. That's right. the bitter compounds uh, in those beverages. They get, they, they provide structure and uh, stabilize the color in the wine. So they are very important to retain. And so the skins and the seeds of red grapes have the tannins, not the pulp. So you want to keep everything together. It's a sol- not a solid, but a gooey mix. And you add the yeast to that and you ferment uh, the red grapes with the skins and seeds in it. And you, when it's finally done fermenting, you press out like you did for the white wine to separate out the red wine from the skins and the seeds and then you age it it takes longer aging and some reds we do not oak some reds we oak we try to keep the fruit flavor uh, in the reds and so the unoaked reds they are more fruit forward the oaked reds they have extra complexity with the fruit uh, getting balanced with the oak so that can take uh, anywhere from six months to I have a Merlot and a Malbec that's been around not the Malbec but the Merlot has been around for a year oh, wow. Oh, wow. the cab that we bottled it was around for a year before we bottled oh. same for Sangiovese so it depends on the wine style what mm-hmm. you're making so there's all different kinds yeah that's really cool and so what you know when we're talking about you know how early on you liked sweet wines, you know, and, and I, I, you know, I, that's how I started too, you know, sweet wines. And then now I've gotten to more liking what I would, you know, what I guess it's called dry wines and all that. So what, um, how, do, what is, what is, goes into that? Like what makes a sweet wine versus a dry wine? Is that, is it the more of the grape or is it kind of how you process it? Okay. I need to tell you something. Okay. I do like dry wines, but I still like sweet wines too. I really love, I love sweet wines. I mean, with the right, kind of food or the right mood or environment sweet wines go really good too Mm -hmm. she doesn't like sweet wines (laughs) (laughs) but you know who likes sweet wines our neighbors (laughs) so whenever we are making a sweet wine so so that that leads us to your question which is how does it how do you make it sweet if you ferment any grape juice and the yeast is strong enough it's going to ferment to what's called dryness dryness means completely so all the sugar is going to be converted to alcohol and you're going to have a totally dry wine okay some wines have a lot of acid in them a dry wine would be too tart and you you wouldn't like it you know or i wouldn't like it you know so then you can either add more grape juice back to it new grape juice you can and and actually some wineries will store part of their grape juice uh, and not ferment it to back sweeten their dry wine like Rieslings mm. they do that okay um, for uh, our we do it two different ways sometimes we stop the yeast or the yeast stops itself it cannot continue to grow in the alcoholic environment of the fermentation and if it's not strong enough it will die leaving whatever sugar was still not fermented 
there. So our farmer's turnpike red, that's how it turned out. I didn't do anything to it. The yeast just died. And I said, you know what? I like it, what it is at, like. Mm -hmm. And I know people are going to, some people like dry wine, but I know there's going to be customers that are going to like this wine. Mm -hmm. So I just left it at that and did not try to add more yeast and try to ferment in dryness. But a lot of times what you can also do is just get a dry wine and then get grape juice or any kind of sweetener. Um, I know some wineries use corn syrup. We don't use corn syrup to sweeten it. So those are the different ways you can yeah, sweeten. But how or, we how we decide is that we oh, yeah. go through and we taste, you know, the wines when they're unfinished and we say, Do we like this? Is it good like this? You know, mm -hmm. and it's dryness or, you know, slightly sweet state, whatever it may be, and would we like it better if it was a little sweeter? Uh, drier and you would go through that kind of discussion and and then we may do some trials where we make it different ways to see what we like the best so yeah for example our sweetest red is called red venture okay the red venture has six percent uh sweetness six percent sugar in it now i didn't know what was a good sweetness level because i i like sweet wine but i don't drink it that often but dennis and paul our neighbors they do so I made up different uh, sweetness levels of wines in small jars, like a bench trial, and had them come over and do the tasting. And six, and then Lori also, Lori, our, our friend Lori, she came, and they all landed on 6% being the best. Because hmm. sometimes it becomes too syrupy, sometimes it's not sweet enough. You need to find that sweet spot. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we landed on the sweetness level on the, of that wine. And the name, I have to tell you, as Paula was headed here to do the trial, she was really excited. She was like, oh, this is going to be an adventure, you know, to taste all the wines. And so I thought, oh, how cool. I can, because it's a red wine, and she thinks it's an adventure. So we made the name Red Adventure. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. For the, for the wine. That's the story. <laughs> But we always do trials. Before we do anything to the wine, we always do trials. We don't want to be surprised. I don't like surprises. So. <laughs> right, because I'm assuming, I mean, you can taste as you go kind of a little bit, right? You take a sample out of the of the storage. and How do you store it? Is it just most wines, are they stored in tanks? or so, yeah. It's stored in large tanks. Some of them steal some... Um, plastic, plastic, high high density, plastic. Uh, high density plastic. So we actually did that this morning. We went through and tasted the wines that were are currently in progress. It's I, I love doing that at ten o'clock in the morning. And, <laughs> you know. um, but you, and you know what I did? I stayed outside. I did not <laughs> want to see her face while she was tasting because I, <laughs> I get panic attacks at night. Oh, is the wine going to get oxidized? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? It's stressful. It's not. Yeah, so I drink alone at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, Healthy. I think it's fine. Uh, but, you know, I go through, we taste them to, you know, make sure there's no faults with the wine and, and how does this smell and what does it taste like and how is it changed from when we initially started. And, and what it needs and What next. does it need? And For example, the Merlot and the Malbec, they're great right now, mm -hmm. but they, they don't have oak. Uh, we, and we have done an oak trial on it. But I need to add the oak. Uh, and, you know, we get French oak, American oak, we get oak staves, oak cubes, oak chips. We don't like to use oak barrels because it's a waste of wood. It's, it's, and it's really hard to keep sanitized. You know, 
you know, wood rots. And to have it in a winery environment and have wine in there, stuff's going to start growing in it. That's how you get vinegar. Bacteria get into the pores of the wood. You know, it's one inch thick. Even though you think you sanitize, you only sanitize the surface, but not the deep pores. And then you put the next batch of wine in the barrel, and guess what? You get vinegar because the acetobacter has done its job. Uh, on the other hand, we like to add oak to the wine instead of wine to the oak. So you have to use, you use much less oak. So I like to say that this is a real uh, number. So a, a mature oak tree, a hundred-year-old oak tree, you'll get four barrels, oak barrels out of it. But you can get four thousand uh, batches of oak chips to you know. So it's you can get so much more out of one oak tree if you use oak chips or uh, oak cubes because the surface area is so much more in that case. And then you're not dealing with trying to keep everything sanitized as much. The acetobacter, your wine's going to be turned out. You know, you have more control. You can even do trials. You get a bottle full of your wine and add different amounts of oak chips in different bottles. And two weeks later, you check it and you know which oak level you like the best. And, you know, having that science background, I really like having control on what I'm making. There are some winemakers that are, are they're more coming from the artist background. They like to see where it goes. They like to explore. I'm coming from the science background, and I don't <laughs> like that. I, it's hard for me. Actually, I'll tell you something. The recent reds that we fermented, I left them without inoculating with yeast for two days in, at 60 degrees in the winery because I was trying to let the wild, na natural, natural yeast that was on the grapes do its job and see if I can get some extra additional complex flavors from those yeast cells than the one I add. And I think I have actually some of that, but it's always a shot in the dark. And you have to have a special kind of <laughs> courage to let that happen because it's a huge batch of wine. So most of our wine is stored in bulk containers like stainless steel and uh, high-density plastic. And then the bottled wine, we have a separate room for it, and it's it's separately temperature and humidity controlled room. Most of the time our winery is at 60 degrees and our uh, temperature controlled room for the bottled wine is 65 degrees. And we, we, we try to keep them at that all year long. Um, so with all the, the different variables that we've been talking about, you know, the aging process and all the different things that you can try to control, is it hard to keep you know sort of a consistent grouping of wines that you're offering or are you constantly changing things up just based on kind of where your different wine projects are at how do you kind of anticipate what you're going to have available you know in the future uh, obviously this year has been a little odd due to the pandemic and being our first year and being our first year so yeah. we initially made you know uh, six large batches which we bottled initially and then we had more in process uh, currently we have I don't know, what do we have in process? Maybe 10 wines? Yeah, yeah, 10 wines. Yeah, yeah. 10. You know, some of which will be for uh, next year, some of which we're hoping to get bottled in the next couple months. In December, yeah. Um, you know, and then we'll, as we kind of get things bottled, we tend to add back more. And we like the idea of having, you know, a few staples, but changing it up. Uh, so our Pinot Gris has been very popular, and at some point, you know, we'll run out of it. And what will we do next? We may do a Sauvignon Blanc, or we may do... 
some ocean and blanc or you know some other white we want to keep changing it up because same old same old is not as fun even though it's good we we like variety variety is the spice of life right so right. we like to keep changing it right now we have 11 wines they, are, they range from dryness on in dryness levels from very dry to very sweet and they're also white roses reds we're making carbonated wines we're just trying to add to the portfolio uh, as much as we can to diversify our offerings so lots of people come out here and say hey you know what i like wine but my husband or my fiance doesn't like to drink wine only likes beer well by law we cannot make beer here but you know what we can make we can make cider you know carbonated apple maybe some people like that people are more uh, used to the cider idea so we're making that so we're just trying to appease as large a demographic as we can or as as wide of a range of demographic as we can by making different products yeah that's really cool i mean that i imagine that's yeah it, it's a, a as you go i'm sure you just learn more as you go right you keep you kind of kind of have to kind of learn what people like learn what interests people and then kind of adapt from there so i, I think that's really cool um and so the other thing yeah, I wanted to talk about too is, you know, like you said, you know, you started planting some, some of your own grapes on the farm, but obviously being new, I mean, you do get in a lot of, um, you know, grapes and, and, uh, from yes. other farms, you know, different places and all that. So what goes into, you know, what goes into your selection there? You know, you have quite a few from Kansas and you had mm -hmm. some from, um, New York and Australia. Um, yeah. so, so what kind of goes into, um, your selection there right so it depends on many different things it depends on what we already have in-house if we already have a cab that's fermenting we're not going to go get another cab right but there are regions of the world that are known for what they grow uh the kind of you know we're known kansas known for wheat or corn there are regions that are known for the variety of grapes they grow upstate new york is awesome for a lot of white wines or uh, chardonnays and uh Rieslings, so we got our Chardonnay from Austin, New York, Washington, Eastern Washington, Washington State is really known for their some of their other grapes, Cabernet, Cabernet Franc, Pinot Gris. We got a Pinot Gris from there. You know, sometimes you just have to take the risk. Sometimes, but if you take a calculated risk, knowing that this region is known for the grape, for example, our Cab and Sangiovese came from Australia. I've never had Sangiovese from Australia, but I know that a bunch of other people have bought it before, and I know that it's a good wine. So, and having the chemistry background, I know I can coax it into a good product. So, I'm really not afraid of experimenting. Um, Chamberson. Uh, the Chamberson is a grape that's grown. It's actually the state red grape of Kansas. Lots of wineries make it. They all oak Chamberson. I don't oak it. I make it unoaked fruit forward. People come out here, this is your Chamberson? Yeah. Well, we, we're we not saying that what others are doing is wrong. We, this is our take on the same grape. This is how we want to present it. And it's everything's right. Nothing's wrong. It's just experimenting. So... So we we have we source grapes from Johnson County, Douglas County. Uh, actually, our farmers turnpike red. We're 
making the next batch this year. It actually came from a vineyard off of the farmer's turnpike, right? So uh, then from Topeka area, Shawnee County, further west, Manhattan. So some within Kansas, right? And then also, like I said, we have grapes from Washington, upstate New York, California, Australia. It's just experimenting. I imagine that, you know, that's a, that's a comp, you know, it's a hard thing because you have so many options out there to pick from, right? So you probably kind of just have to pick something and go with it because you can kind of probably get lost in all the choices you probably have. Yeah. And so like we have five white wines, but all five taste different. Right. None of them taste like any other wine. You know, it's amazing that grapes, even though they're all grapes, a different variety has a different flavor. And even it depends on when you harvest it, what ripeness level was it when it was harvested. If you, you know, if you harvest grapes early, you can get different flavors. If you let them go other couple more weeks on the grapevines, they can produce different flavors. So it's amazing the range of flavors you can get get from grapes. And and so we've been lucky to have five white wines that all have different flavors. Right. And how much goes in, how much is it, uh, you know, different yeast strains and, and all that? How, mu- how much does that change it, too? I mean, is that another yeah, variable? So, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so literally there's hundreds of different strains of yeast available. Right. You know, like, my father-in-law, he's a farmer. Yeah. All winter long, he sits on his rocking chair and looks at catalogs for different plants he wants to plant. You know, like this tomato, like how many kinds of tomatoes you get in the world, right? right. Same thing with yeast, like hundreds of kinds of yeast. That's what I do in the winter. Just sit on a rocking chair and look at all the yeast catalogs. We don't have a rocking chair. <laughs> but we have yeast catalogs. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and, and they, they, they have been, these yeasts have been produced in labs, right? The South Africa has a lab that works on yeast. Germany has a lab. France has many labs. United States has many labs. And they, because of the regions they are in, for example, if you're fermenting a cab, if you want, to want it like a Bordeaux cab from France, you should probably choose a yeast that was made in the lab in Bordeaux because it was the native one there and it goes well with it to give you the taste that you're used to. So there, yeah, so you want to match the yeast to the source of the grape and to the flavors of the grape. It's a really fun exercise. Yeah. And uh, recently I, I, I was telling you about the reds I fermented they were in three different bins, right? I use three different yeasts for each of those bins. And so I get different flavors from each. And then when I press the juice out, I blended it all. You can you imagine all the complexity of flavors in that one wine? One is more like rose and floral scented. The other one is more fruit forward. And the other one is more tart. So now they're all mixed together. and. It's going to be a good product. I'm really excited for it. But these are the kind of things I really enjoy doing, like trying different, experimenting. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Do you have um, a favorite wine of the ones that you're currently offering or something that you're really looking forward to seeing how it turns out? Oh, all of them. Do you have a favorite <laughs> child? <laughs> yeah, that's, yes, that's, a, fair, that's yeah. a fair point. Uh, everyone has its own unique quality, right? Yes. That's right. But really, I like all my, obviously, I wouldn't bottle yeah. them if I didn't like But they all have their good points. I mean, it depends on what food you're eating that they will, you know, go with. Um, 
we recently did a wine dinner. So there were five different wines, right? But each wine was paired with a different dish, right? And, and there was a reason, the smoked duck with the rosé, not with the Cabernet. So I like them all. It's just the context, what you're drinking them with, you know, what food you're uh, eating. You know, in this summer, I feel like we drank a lot of our semi-sweet whites. Mm. You know, it went really well with the hot weather, and we've uh, found some really good cheese from a local farmer. You know, and I felt like the just the two this summer just went really well together. But as it's cooling off, I'm like, I'd like some Sangiovese and I'd like mm-hmm. some Cab. And mm-hmm. yeah, the know, Cab is really drinking really good right now. Yes. I like the Cab a lot right now. And so we're enjoying, you know, kind of as our food choices change and as it gets cooler, I'm like, oh, this this sounds really good. And I think as it gets a little, I'm really looking forward to our Malbec and Merlot as we get, you know, even more into winter and more like kind of dark and darker and heavier foods almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that's really cool. And so I guess another question too, similar is what uh what's the hot best selling wine right now, I guess? What what one do you think is the most popular that people are It's really a it's a race. It's Yeah, well uh, it, you can already tell the difference. Like this summer we sold a lot of um the white the whites and the rose yeah, this summer. But, you yeah, know, like it was really you said, hot, we serve them chilled. And as it's gotten cooler we've seen a really a lot of increase in the reds. Huh. Well, here's the thing, like we our the the our customers they're a wide variety of people okay so they all like different things so we have customer you know and most of our customers are returning customers the ones that like the pinot gris always drink the pinot gris the ones that like the farmers turnpike white they are married to it they just you know we (laughs) we see them coming we all right have a farmer's turnpike white ready or rosé you know i'm not gonna name names interesting they're devoted yeah. <laughs> like so, by the case devoted. Yeah. Wow. So it's it's really. Uh, You'll have some people that shake it up, you know, and get different stuff. But I can almost predict. I'm like, oh, you want this today? They're like, no, I want to change it up. But I'm, my face is, you know, shocked. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, all of our wines almost about the same. The sweet red probably sells the least. Red Venture. Yeah. Even the sweet white sells quite a bit. Vanilla white. Well, I think that's may, because of change. summer. It may yeah. Change. yeah, like the winter when we opened, we opened last December. All winter long, people wanted the farmers turnpike red, right? And not right now, not as much. Yeah. Well, except this weekend, we sold a lot of oh, farmers really? turnpike red. Okay, so but you know, cooler. winter's coming. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's interesting. I guess I never thought of that. I was like, yeah, I mean I, that makes sense. Is that yeah, obviously with the change of the season, different wines, and yeah, I think about it. Yeah, it's usually. Winter is when I want red, and mm-hmm. summers where I'm either a rosé or a white white uh, wine. You person. know, especially since we're doing everything outside right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're not immune to the outside, uh, you know, weather right now. Yeah. If you're right. in a climate-controlled room, you might not have that much of a um, influence of the weather. But when we're doing tastings outside, people are hanging outside. Right. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, they want something cool. Even though we have a lot of shade, it's not always, you know, that cool. It's still we're Kansas, so we're yeah. hot. Yeah, you guys have a beautiful space up there, um, and I know that you've been utilizing it fully. You know, especially with the pandemic. So, kind of talk us through the types of events that you've been having and how you've sort of shifted your business model with everything going on. Well, I think you know that I'm a physician and I work in the hospital, and so when the pandemic, I'd already been following it closely, and so when it hit. Um, you know, I was already thinking about how are we going to switch not only things we do in the hospital, but things out here. So we were 
of doing curbside uh, during the lockdown. And we, you know, really appreciated our customers and our friends and, you know, those people coming out and either trying new wine for the first time without tasting it or, our, you know, return customers coming to have us drop it off in the, you know, in their trunk. And But we prepared and we, you know, prepared our outside space because I knew social distancing would be, you know, necessary and we should be outdoors and we should be sanitizing everything. And so we built an outdoor bar. We moved everything outside to, um, you know, accommodate the the pan. Not just accommodate our, you know, keep everyone safe, but let everyone have fun. How can we do that? How can we keep everyone, including ourselves, safe? You know, those two months that we were locked down, everything was closed down. I was closed down at home with my two kids, and I really missed the connection with other people. You know, and that drove home the point: like we we are social animals, and I understand we are trying to protect everybody, but at some point we need the connection with other humans. And the safest way to do it was with face mask on and with social distance, you can still see other people. Right. So we, you know, we set up an area to separate the band so that they could sing, you know, and not be concerned about getting, you know, sing without their face mask and them not being concerned about getting other people sick or getting sick themselves. We made sure there was a lot of space for them. Um, you know, and then we enforce social distancing very strictly here, and as well as face mask wearing. And people have loved it. They say, I feel safe out here. I'd like I like coming here. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how we felt, you know, when we, we came by to drop off, you know, you know, the equipment. I mean, I think we really... Uh, we really liked, you know, the, the setup you guys have, the really nice, you know, you have all the, the benches. You have a great amount of shade out there, too, which, you know, you yes. don't always get on a farm. It's usually in, in Kansas. Yeah, yeah, in Kansas, it's usually uh, right. not too many trees. So, But, no, you have you have plenty of shade. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that was you nice know, in the summer, too. <laughs> it was great, but right now there's a lot of work blowing all the leaves. Oh, yes, <laughs> le- yeah, the leaves are coming down. <laughs> but yeah. you know who loves it most? I make a big pile out uh, in the back of yeah. all the leaves. And when uh, customers come and bring their kids, the kids <laughs> love playing in the leaf pile. <laughs> That's it's the cool. best, best yeah, activity for them. But yeah, so I mean, you you've had um, you know I think we mentioned you you did like uh, the wine dinner um, with, with uh, Chef Ken Baker. Um, so you did that like and, and once again you know just from uh, you know from what we heard is you know you guys did a you know all the social distancing but you know allowed people to have that you know have that something that was a reminiscent of times before covid so um so yeah what kind of went into that and you know and that's something we've noticed too is you know you guys are on weekends and and pretty regularly have some kind of food truck that comes by um so how'd you make those connections i mean i know that's a um you know kind of kind of making all the different connections of who can come there and, and, and setting that up. So what, what kind of went into that? Well, we had some friends who uh, were musicians and they had talked about performing here before the pandemic and then mm. it happened. And they're a high risk group also. They are high mm. risk. And so they came out here immediately after we were allowed to open up and she, uh, she said, can we sing out here? We can be far away here. And we were like, yes, that's a great idea. And they essentially, you know, hooked us up with the musical Community in Lawrence, which is a the music community was going nuts. Oh, they yeah. were like, yeah. man, they, all their pent up the pent up creative energy. Yeah, yeah. I know, and they they needed a release, and so we provided it, and you know we're lucky to have the space and share with them. So you know, once you know one, you're gonna have all their mm-hmm. friends come out and they drop off their cards, and it, literally it's been difficult to get everyone a gig because we're not open every day 
and people don't come out every day. Right. But on the weekends, you know, we're, now we're trying to add Sunday lineup. Mm-hmm. So Saturdays we usually have two-hour music with food truck. Oh, the food trucks, initially that was difficult too because they would need a minimum assurance of certain sales mm-hmm. before they would come out here because they didn't know us, they didn't know, you know, with COVID, nobody can assure anything right yeah. now. Right. Right. So some of them took the chance on us and they started seeing with every week improvement in, uh, in their sales. And so we've been lucky with the food trucks taking, some of them come from Kansas City, there's not a lot here. Uh, Matt Greek came out, we've been trying to talk to La Perea. They finally got the restaurant open because they were busy with that. So I think mm-hmm. now they might have a time and the energy to come out with a food truck. So we might get La Perea out, but uh, the music, other than the Saturday music, we also have local musicians jamming on Sunday, so a couple hours Sunday afternoon. They just come, sit in a semicircle, socially distant semicircle, and they just play their own creations, and everyone jams. And then after they're done, three to five, the Irish musicians come out with their instruments, and you know, they're all special instruments, with the concertina and the flute. Oh man, that's... I was working in the vineyard one day and they were jamming. I was like, this is the most awesome place right now to listen to music and working with the grapes. But so they do their thing. So we provide them space and they provide us great experience, basically. And now we're trying to add like an actual formal couple hours of music on Sunday afternoon because all this is going to end soon. I mean, we're in Kansas. We're not in California. It's going to get colder. And at some point, they're not going to be able to play so we are trying to get as much as we can right now uh, to the end of October and push as much as we can into November. Yeah. And then we're making our winter plans already. You yeah. know, how are we going to keep us and our employees and our customers safe during uh, winter and figuring that out? Right. Yeah, no, that's a big chat. That's what I've yeah, been thinking about, too, is just, you know, all the different businesses in town, you know, obviously the summer and, and the fall is nice i think we've we've been blessed with pretty pretty decent weather this year but um but yeah what happens yeah once you have to start going you know it's too cold to be outside or, or what you do there so yeah it'll be um yeah, it'll be interesting so um you know and that kind of leads me to the you know, question is uh the great thing about your wine is that you can you know take it grab it and go and drink in your right. own in your own uh, oh and also house. you can gift it yeah you, you can yeah. gift it too yeah, holidays so. are coming it's the best gift so what? Um, so so, where can people get your wine? You know, obviously at your at your farm. Um, right. Are you, I think I saw you guys. Do you have a couple other places that are selling it? So we're um, in town. We're, we sell at Cork and Barrel on Twenty Third Street. Nice. Twenty Third in Iowa. Yeah. And they're Iowa. new. Yeah, new they're big new spot, facility. Right? Yeah. The huge. Yeah, it's amazing. And then we're also in a couple stores in Manhattan, Topeka, and Concordia, Kansas, which is near where I'm from. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. So four stores in Manhattan, two stores in Topeka, and two stores in Concordia. Yeah. And well, one, and awesome. then we're working on Kansas City now. So hopefully they will be everywhere before winter. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Do you have plans then? You said in the next coming months. And you know, right now you have about, uh, it was about 11 wines that you're offering currently. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's that look like, you know, as, as we get into the fall here and going in towards winter is, uh, you know, 
how, how many new wines do you think you'll have coming up or you know so yeah so we're gonna have a carbonated dry cider and a carbonated sweet cider nice. and then a carbonated white wine you know holidays people want champagne or something sparkling mm-hmm. to celebrate so we're gonna have a sparkling dry white and a sparkling sweet white and a sparkling dry pink rosé and mm. a sparkling sweet rosé so those are six right there and we may be able to bottle over Malbec and Merlot also mm. by December so how many is that that's eight more you guys are going to be busy so, <laughs> next couple months yeah yeah I need to get working you're right. <laughs> and do you get uh, I guess uh, so you do all this on your farm right so you're bottling you're doing all that on yes. the farm right yes yes right I mean I don't know if you can see it right now the yeah. winery is right back there. Yeah, that's wild. And, uh, I mean, yeah, and so for bottling, we don't own a lot of bottling equipment. We usually uh, contract bottle. So there is a guy in Missouri. Uh, his name is Brent Baker. He has all the bottling equipment on his trailer. And he drives it around. And actually, it's really hard to get dates with him because almost all wineries in Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Arkansas use him. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, so we get a date with him. He comes out in the morning. The great thing about his trailer is he can sterilize every single thing with high high temperature steam on it. Okay. So you know that your bottles, once they're bottled, they're not gonna get ruined or um, pop or anything. Right. So we get the bottles. We have the wine. We get our corks, and then labels. Labels. Oh, and then we just. He bought on his trailer. He just there is a filler, wine filler. There is a corker. There is a labeler. It just goes through a conveyor belt and gets filled and bottled. And I mean, it's less. It's labeled. like what two or three minutes. Oh no! From the time you start, you put the bottles on, and they've already gone through, and they're coming out yeah. on the other wow. end. It's so quick. It's he, amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, we usually do fifteen hundred gallons a day, but he can do up to three thousand gallons in a day. Oh, oh my, my goodness. God. So, it's yeah, really fast. Well, if you great. look on our Facebook, we have some videos of it actually happening. He has windows on the trailer to cool it off, but also so that you can see. Oh, oh, cool. yeah. It's really pretty fun. Yeah, that's what yeah, I always because, love, love all the, that kind of stuff when you when you watch the TV shows or anything, how it's made or something. It's the high speed fillers and all that. I think that's really yeah, um, yeah. fascinating. Yeah, Personally, really when I worked for other wineries, I have hand corked yeah. all day long, and. It's not fun. No, that's, I, was, that's <laughs> why I was like, you guys, you must have something there. Because I'm like, man, the, the amount of bottles you have out there, I'm like, man, to right. do that by hand, that's a that's a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now, the kicker is he cannot bottle the carbonated wines. He's not set up for that carbonated oh. wines because of the extra gas you have yeah. in the wine. Pressure. Yeah. You need a special process. So I'm trying to develop it. I mean, it's known. And I, I have to say Sam McLean at the Lawrence Beer Company, mm-hmm. he has been very helpful in uh, uh, figuring out how to bottle straight from a, you know, carbonator tank, like a beer tank. Yeah. So uh, that's what we're going to have to do in-house, a bottle. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah, I remember, I think we talked to him about that and how they were bought, all their bottles, they, they hand bottle most of their stuff, or at least they did at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even they have to change now into the uh, crawler crawler systems yeah. mm-hmm. had to get the crawlers and things just for COVID but the amount of cooperation between all the different uh, like by the way my carbonator tank guess where it came from 
I bought it from Kombucha, Elliot Pease, uh-huh. because he wanted to ups- upsize, yeah. and uh-huh. so I bought his small tank, right? Uh-huh. Sam McLean helps me figure out how to carbonate the wine and how to bottle it and things like that. I bought some grapes from Blue Jacket Winery, because they had extra grapes, so I'm making wine from their grape. So the amount of cooperation between different outfits, uh, kombucha, brewing, other wineries, it's amazing. We all help, I mean, help each other out. That's awesome. Yeah, that's what Lawrence is all about. Yes. That's cool. Yeah, it's, it seems like you guys have really, really found your spot there and really, you know, fit in with the with all, you know, everyone we've ever talked to is, you know, it does seem like there's just a great amount of cooperation. So it's, you know, with you, you know, opening up your space to allow others to be able to sell food and do music mm-hmm. and then, you know, all that stuff. It, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's what Lauren, what we need right now, right? With oh, everything that's also, been going on. Jake and Kristen, uh, did you happen to see all the sculptures in the back? Yeah. Yes, we we did. Did. yeah, yeah what, so that's what? a local artist. He, he makes sculptures from, he repurposes materials to make sculptures. And then uh, usually when it's not very windy, we also put up art by a local artist, you know, her frames, watercolor paintings on the fence out there. So not only wine, food, and music, but also art. We want, right. And that was our goal, to, to build community here, you know, uh, using wine to build community. It was kind of a weird way to build community in the face of COVID, but if you have face mask on and if you social distance and use the right precaution, you can still have the community. Um, one other thing that we're wondering sort of before we start wrapping things up was where your logo came from. So, like I said, I'm from India, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the logo, if you look at it closely, and you saw the peacock here, yeah. mm-hmm. right? But it's also a lotus flower. Okay. Oh, right. And so the peacock is a national flower, no, national bird, I'm sorry, of India. And the lotus is a national flower. Right. And so it harkens to my heritage, basically. Uh and if you look at the shape, it is a wine glass, right? And then, and then it has the base down here. I don't know if you can see it. On oh, the V being the stem, and then there is a base, the right? In Trevetti, yeah. So the logo, and it's not my idea or Jody's idea. It's actually Michael Fairchild. He's also our neighbor. Okay. Just one day he was walking his dog, and we ran into each other. We started talking. Turns out he has done logos for the Humane Society for some of KU, like endowment associations, for Fields and Ivy Brewery, so, and Whitfields. So oh. he has done a lot of good, we like his work. Yeah. So we just uh, contracted with him to come up with some ideas and we liked this the best. And he nailed it on the first time, like this was his first design and <laughs> wow, the font wasn't the same. It turns out I have a lot of opinions about font. But, <laughs> you know, he just, he nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. No, we really like it. You know, even with all your bottles, I think it's cool. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know how you can, you know, you adjust the color of it a little bit. You know, and it kind of lends itself pretty easily to being branded. And yeah, that's all Mike. Mike has done a great job with the branding aspect, and he works directly with the label printers to figure out what kind of, like you say, different colors. Because what we see in color is not how it shows up in the metallic print because Mm -hmm. it changes a little bit. So. All thanks to Mike. So his uh, company is M Design, but his name is Michael Fairchild. Yeah. Really awesome. That's great. And so one other thing we like to ask everyone, you know, during COVID and all that, what's been uh, what's been your go-to uh, takeout or uh, curbside pickup uh, food in in town? 
We like to spread the love everywhere. We do spread the love. So we listed seven favorites. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So in no particular order, but wow. we love Burger Stand, Yellow Sub, Jade Garden, Big Mill, Basil Leaf, Pedestrian Cheese, and Lawrence Beer Company. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Good choices. Yeah, that's, I know. It's, it's, there, we, we, we do have a lot of options here in Lawrence. <laughs> so it's always, it's, yeah. a, it's definitely... spoiled. Yeah, yeah. We, really, we really are, and all of them are doing great curbside and or takeout and, and all or have the patio space out there um, where you can distance. So yeah, it's a uh, definitely a lot of options out there, and, and that's kind of what and we've been doing. And great chefs. Too. I mean, we have yeah. some amazing chefs. I mean, and lots of them, not just one or two. It's right. just amazing. Well, it's really great. I really, you know, really appreciate the two of you taking some time to talk with us today. It was really fascinating to kind of learn everything that's gone into it and your kind of journey from, you know, pharmaceutical to to doing wine and, and, and finding your spot up there, um, in North Lawrence. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Just incredible how you were able to sort of, I mean, it's still, you know, like we were talking about related, you know, with the chemistry of winemaking, but still it's a huge pivot. So I think it's really impressive and just fascinating, you know, how you're able to turn this into, you know, a whole upcoming wine empire up there north of town. (laughs) Yeah. We've been lucky with everything falling most or most things falling our way and finding the right people to get everything done. So I wanted to give a shout out to a few people that have helped us get here. Yeah. Uh, David Bennett with the University National Bank. He was the one who helped us get, uh, you know, uh, negotiate the small business loans mm-hmm. and work with the Wakarusa Valley Development Corp to get us the appropriate funding for our venture. And then Stan Hernley is an architect in Lawrence and he does unique projects. One of his projects has been we're close to where you live, Santa, Santa Fe Depot, the remodeling of the Santa Fe yeah. Real mm-hmm. Depot. So he, he grows his own grapes too. And so he knows about wine and he loves wine. And he jumped as soon as I said, he want to work on a winery. He jumped. He's like, yeah, I would love to. <laughs> and Steve Hughes, Steve Hughes is a engineer. He does mechanical, plumbing, electrical, stuff like that. But uh, he, he also has the Lawrence uh, brew shop, wine and brew, wine oh, making yeah, and brew the, shop. Oh yeah, the new, kind of opened up so he, mass, he, yeah. yeah. Huh? Pardon me, in downtown, yeah, he yeah. just opened downtown. And so he, he did all the plumbing, electrical, engineering work for us. County, amazing corp- cooperation. The county officials have helped us tremendously trying to get everything done in a timely manner. You know, all the permits, get inspections, everything. Amazing people to work with. Uh, our general contractor, Eric Wagner. If I was to build again anywhere, anything, Eric is my guy, okay? I can trust him totally with everything. And he he does the way he does things for a reason. It's thought out. He, his dad used to be a contractor, so he knows everything. And all the subcontractors he hired, amazing people. We're just lucky that we found all the right people to help us with this. All of our neighbors, Randy Farley, Chuck Taylor, uh, Dennis, Paul Michael, Larry Barches and the Schwerings, they, you know, they're always around, always, I mean, we got pumpkins from some of them, you know, they're always doing something for us. Chuck comes and gets, you know, I said after the red wine is pressed out, we get the skins and the seeds. Guess what happens to those? Chuck comes with his kid steer, picks up the a bin full of skins and seeds, and feeds his cows. His, a lot cow, of, his cows like to get boozy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of potassium in the skin, so it's good for the cows. So, uh, the amount of good people that we have run into is just like, almost like it was meant to be you know well that's really great um so yeah i mean i guess uh you know like we said you know 
Trevetti Wine, you guys are located on the Farmer's Turnpike up there just north of I-70. Um, you guys have Facebook, and I think you're on Instagram as well, um, right? So uh, people can find you. have events and stuff that you're posting on Facebook. Um, and Yes, can... our website is very static, but the Facebook is dynamic. Facebook right. has a lot more information because I have only, truthfully, I have only so much amount of time to do everything, and right. I... Facebook helps me uh, do everything easier. So oh, yeah. all the events, everything that's going on is on our Facebook page, Trevetti Wine. Yeah, so we encourage everyone listening, you know, go check out check out the Facebook, check out the winery, uh, pick up some wine. You won't be disappointed. And, um, um, yeah, so thanks again, the two of you, and it was great talking with you. Thank yeah. you so much for having us. We really enjoyed sharing our story with you guys. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Lawrence Forking, Kansas. We had a great time chatting with Malik Trivedi and Jody Palmer from Trivedi Wine. If you're able to support the local food scene during this time, we encourage you to do so. You can order delicious food, beer, wine, coffee, cocktails, and more from local businesses because um, most of them are doing takeout or some kind of delivery service. You can buy local produce from your local farmers at C- you know via CSAs, farmers markets, or sunflower provisions. Um, or, or uh, you know, check out the Lawrence Hospitality Workers Relief Fund. Um, you can find that either on GoFundMe or on the Lawrence Restaurant Association's website. Um, so a lot of different options on how you can support the local food scene. Something else that you can do to help support the local food scene and get the word out about what's going on here in Lawrence, even with COVID, is to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook at Lawrence Forking Kansas, Instagram at Lawrence Forking Kansas, and Twitter at Lawrence Forking. Feel free to find our pages, like us, follow us, leave us a comment. Um, you know, let us know who you'd like to hear from, and, and we love hearing from you guys. And if you're a restaurant or a food business owner in town and you're interested in coming on the show, please just reach out to us on social media, or you can send us an email at lawrenceforkingkansas at gmail.com and let us know. We are always looking for new people to talk to and would love to have you on the show. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.